There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the July. Hello and welcome to the Power Chord Hour podcast. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, welcoming you to yet another episode and saying thank you so much for checking it out. I do apologize this week. We are not back with a new episode, though if you do listen to the radio show, we'll have a new one um, this Friday. And uh, I did want to put up a throwback episode since we didn't have an episode this week. And uh, I decided to go back in the radio archives, find some more interviews that we have not released on the podcast yet. And on this one, I am talking with Ken Stringfellow. You know him from the Posies. You know him from Big Star. You know him from R.E.M. He was even in Lagwagon, played guitar on Double Platinum. Um, he's, he did some live um, touring with Marky Ramone, doing uh, singing Ramone songs a few years back. I mean, the man the man has done so much, and I love the range of what he does. I mean, honestly, just going down that list, he, he can do it all. I mean, if, if you want power pop, if you want punk rock, if you want just good indie rock, if you want good alternative, it really doesn't matter what it is. Ken Stringfellow knows how to do it. On top of all that stuff, too, an amazing solo artist. Um, I would say of last year quite possibly the best show that I saw all year. I, I really can't think of anything that, that topped this one, but uh, I saw him play at the Warming House in Minneapolis in like February of last year, just solo, just by himself, and it, it just blew my mind. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing. I've also seen the Posies live um, just a few months prior to this interview. Actually, it's funny because um, when I interviewed them two years ago, they were doing the, their uh, 30th anniversary as a band, and I got to catch them in uh, San Antonio, Texas, at uh, the Paper Tiger, I kind of I was going cross country at the time, and it kind of aligned that they were playing Texas while I was there. And I left Houston a day early to go check them out in San Antonio, and I am so happy I did. Um, just an amazing, amazing show. They're playing with the Frosting on the Beater lineup with uh, Michael Musburger and uh, Dave Fox, and both are amazing. And I gotta say, if you've never if you've never really listened to much of the Posies, or if you haven't just never paid attention, we talk a little bit about it in this interview. But Michael Musburger. One of the greatest drummers of all time. Like, you you have to go listen, and I, I will play this at the end of the interview. I will play Solar Sister for you, my favorite Posey song. Probably one of their, their most, I'm getting tongue-tied, their most well-known songs. And the, the thing that blows my mind, I mean, there's so many elements to it that make it a good song. But one of the best things is there's literally a part in the bridge where there's not only a guitar solo, but there's a drum solo going on simultaneously and it just works so amazingly. I mean, his his drumming is insane. Like the fills that he he plays with a feeling. That's what I like about it is he plays with a feeling. You can tell that he that he knows what he's doing, and you know he probably knows a bunch of music theory. He he knows his way around a, a drum set, but he plays with more of a feeling than anything. He know he knows when to use the things that he's been taught, but he also knows when to just trust his gut instinct and go, okay, this works here or something like that. I mean, a lot of times, I can't think of many other songs out there where there's a drum solo going on with a guitar solo at the same time. I mean, it's in, it's insane. And not just that, the guitar solo is amazing too, but the drums are just, it, it's just crazy. I mean, you, you, you'll hear it if you haven't heard it yet, but uh, just an amazing band. And, uh, you know, now they've been a band for 32 years. And uh, when I did this interview, I mean, I'd known of the Posies, 
I uh, at least the name. I didn't really know any of their songs. I did know that John and Ken were in Big Star, and uh, I actually was a Big Star fan before before I was a Posies fan. So I mean, I knew them from that, but uh, I became a fan of theirs after not too long after Grant Hart passed away, and I heard their song Grant Hart, and I'm like, oh, okay, I've been sleeping on this band way too long. Like I have to go check them out, and uh, I'm so happy I did. And this was really cool because I mean, like I said, it was a few months after seeing the Posies play in San Antonio. And I mean, maybe eight or nine months after me buying Amazing Disgrace and becoming a Posies fan. So it was like I became a fan and I'm like, all right, time to interview. It was kind of it was kind of for me. I like it because it's like I became a fan. and It's like, well, what do I want to know as a fan? You know, I mean, interview questions that will that will, you know, interest other people. But just even for myself, like discovering them, I'm like, well, what do I want to know? You know, this band's been around 30 years and I really know nothing about them. So uh, just an insane treat. I mean, it was it was so hard to I mean, it was like a 30 minute interview. And I mean, to fit in three decades of not only the Posies, and I mean, we hardly touched on any of his other bands, but like I said, he was in R.E.M. for like a decade. Probably the biggest song that he played on of theirs was Man on the Moon. He joined in like mid to late 90s, and uh, he was in that band till like, I think, 2008, not too long before they broke up, and uh, he played keyboards in uh, REM but I mean if you saw if you saw them live during that time you definitely saw him play with them and uh, he played on their records he's an official member and everything and uh, I mean big star leg wagon I mean playing with Marky Ramone which was after this or else I definitely would talk to him about that I mean just so many different things in the range of it too like, like I said I love the range of what he does and I definitely want to have him back on because yeah 30 minutes I mean we my, my main thing when I went into it was kind of talk about their uh, three, the three real big Posies records, which if you've never listened to them. These are the ones to go check out after the interview. You can't go wrong with any of them. They've never really put out a bad record, to be honest. There's really none that I would say stay away from. Like, they're literally all good. They're like all power pop masterpieces. Like, John and Ken, like, as far as songwriting duos go, including Living, there's really, you don't get much better than them. You You truly do not. I mean, if you want to know how good they are, Ringo Starr covered, covered, uh, was it suddenly, or no, Golden Blunders, he uh, covered back in the 90s, a few years after it was released. I mean, that that tells you, you gotta be pretty good, I would say, to have a Beatle cover you. Just just being honest. I feel like you you have to know what you're doing for a Beatle to go, okay, I'm gonna cover this band. But uh, yeah, I mean, 30 minutes was not enough to get into all the crazy, the crazy and amazing career that Ken has had, you know, with the Posies, outside of the Posies, and uh, the only man, I think, in the world who can say that he has been in a band with both Joey Cape and Alex Chilton. And, uh, you know, just just such a such a pleasure to talk to. And this year does mark the 15th anniversary of the big star uh, reunion record in space that uh, him and John played on. So I would really like to have him come on and talk about that. And uh, the Posies also put out their reunion album that year. And, uh, yeah, it would really be cool to have him and John both on and uh, talk about both of those. But I'm sure I'll have... I'm sure I'll have Ken on very, very soon. There's stuff to talk about. And uh, I know he's been doing a lot of production stuff during quarantine, staying busy with that. He also produces tons and tons of bands. He's truly a working musician. Like when you talk about working musicians, Ken Stringfellow is exactly that. I mean, he from everything like, you know, been playing the Posies for 30 years at times when the Posies aren't playing. He's producing, doing solo stuff. He, you know, he jumped into R.E.M., you know, sometime in between, I think, uh, Frosting on the Beater and Amazing Disgrace. He just joins Lagwagon. Like, he is a working musician and, you know, a damn good one. 
I'm so happy he's putting his music out there. But I just want just want to jump on real quick and tell you what this throwback episode is about. Is about is our interview with Ken Stringfellow from back in 2018, originally on the Power Chord Hour radio show. And I remember the last interview I did in our makeshift studio while uh, WRFA was getting remodeled. We have an amazing studio now, but for a while there in uh, 2018, basically all of 2018, we were in a basement and. Uh, it had somewhat of a charm. Like it was fun to go hang out. I would, I would go hang out with a uh, shout out Alexander the Great, who uh, used to do Saturday Night Fire on a WRFA. You know, I'd go like hang out with him, and we'd like record, uh, you know, like our shows and stuff, and just kind of mess around on there. It was like fun for that, but it was also like there was no bathroom there. Um, I was recording my show one day, and like you know, it looks like a studio. So you have these two big windows in front and behind you. Like it was makeshift, but it was a decent, you know, it was a decent makeshift studio and I'm recording and I swear I see something flying behind me and there's just a goddamn bat flying back and forth stuck in the room (laughs) behind the studio. So like I'm recording and I was like, what the hell? Like, and there's nothing I could do. So I just kept recording as, uh, as that damn bat just went back and forth trying to figure a way out. And uh, thank God he never got in because, uh, yeah, there probably would have been a lot of obscenities on that uh, episode had, had he gotten in while I was trying to record. But uh, I, I do remember that. And uh, also, one of the latest interviews I ever did, I also remember we did this at like 9 p.m. I think it was earlier for him. He was on West Coast and I was on East Coast. Um, I, I think I interviewed Ben Jorgensen a few months ago around the same time. But up until that was also like the latest interview I'd ever done. I don't know if that's interesting or not, but I'm just telling you little tidbits um, from this interview. And uh, I don't know. It, w- it was fun. I think you'll enjoy this one. So here it is. Here's my interview with Ken Stringfellow of the Posies talking 30 years of the Posies. And once again, if you've never checked them out, I mean, after this interview, go check them out. Check out the three classic records we talk about on here and uh, and then go beyond that, too. They have tons and tons of music out there for you to check out. So here's my interview right here on this throwback episode of the Power Chord Hour podcast. Right now on the phone, we have Ken Stringfellow of the Posies, Big Star, R.E.M., and a whole lot of other bands. The Posies are currently celebrating their 30-year anniversary by playing shows with the Frosting on the Beater lineup, as well as releasing a deluxe reissues of their three major label records, Dear 23, Frosting on the Beater, and Amazing Disgrace, which you can grab on their Pledge Music campaign right now. And we're going to talk about that in 30 Years of the Posies with Ken. Ken, how are you doing today? I am doing quite well. Very nice. So, I mean, like I said, it's 30 Years of the Posies now. At the beginning of the year, I mean, did it feel like you've been doing this for 30 years, or does that not kick in until it's like, okay, we're doing a tour with the Frosting on the Beater lineup, we're reissuing these albums? Well, I kind of live in the present moment pretty much. None of it really, I mean, I don't even know how you feel like 30 years, maybe 30 years feels just like this, but um, as it's a bit of a cliche to say that these things go by very quickly, but it's really true. Um, we have seen and done a lot in 30 years, uh, but it's now on the other end of it. Uh, you know, it just seems like yesterday in many ways that we were just getting started. Um, I still feel young and fit and <laughs> into what I'm doing and all these kind of things. So, I don't feel like writing my memoirs yet. No, you know what I mean. That's a good thing. Yeah. That right. That's a good thing as an artist. I mean, I, yeah, you know. I think I still have interesting projects and interesting work ahead of me. 
which is yeah, that's that's a that's a good place to be. But I mean, right now, kind of when you're looking back, I know you've been doing the shows with uh, Dave and Mike. I mean, did those did you guys click right away, or did that did that take some time? Because I I did catch you guys play with them, and it sounded like I mean, you you never stopped playing since the '90s. You sounded like very tightly. You guys never took a break. Yeah, there's a lot of muscle memory, and I'm sure you know emotional memory as well. When we when we got together in May to rehearse in Seattle and especially for the material that we had played together back in the day, material from Frosting on the Beater, et cetera. Uh, that stuff just sounded exactly like you described. Like we had never, like we'd been playing it constantly since 1993. Um, just really fell into place. Some of the songs that we'd never played together, more recent material took a little bit more rehearsal, but uh, the general vibe uh, was, very fresh and very youthful. I think um, it, at least it feels that way. I mean, of course, I've watched videos of the tour and stuff like that, and uh, I still think we have a lot of energy. Of course, yeah, we're older. I mean, that's that's a simple fact of life. Um, but I think that our general approach to the music is still uh, kind of all or nothing. Uh, push everything to the max kind of commitment that I think that our music kind of needs in a sense, because uh, if it was just, if we were doing something that was really stylized and known to be a heavy genre like punk or metal, it's possible that the song style, we could sort of coast on that. I mean, not if you watch some quote unquote punk bands, you know, their style on stage is fairly, you know, it's it rocks or whatever, but it's not. It's not it, there. You don't get the sense it's do or die. Some punk is just fashion punk, right? Yeah. And- um, I would say that we're we are have always been wanting to show, especially as time went on, uh, and we got more confident as a live band that we are not a fashion item. We are highly committed to this kind of music, and if it's not the the most like I said, if it, our lives would be so easy if we were a metal band because you 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 play metal festivals, you have you you know you're in metal magazines, you, you everything is kind of scripted for you. We're off the map in Terra Incognita, and, and that's a different vibe. You know, we we want to show you that our commitment to Terra Incognita is not by accident. We are really trying to to do something that's just not going down the same highway that everybody else goes down. I got to say, too, I mean, obviously, before this, I've been uh, listening a lot to the three albums that are getting reissued. And the one thing that sticks out, like you were saying, you kind of keep changing your sound a little. You don't just you're you're just not set in one genre. And I think it shows on your albums. I don't know that one Posey album sounds the same. And I, I think I don't know. I think on these reissues themselves and just everything you guys have done, you know, there's there's a Posey's vibe, but it's never it's never, you know, it never gets stale. It's not the same thing. And uh, so, I mean, with- I, I, if I could, if I could jump in on that, I would, I would say that probably the consistent factor is that John and I have a particular way of singing together that's really intertwined. It's, it's not unlike, say, um, you know, different Tilbrook from Squeeze, or perhaps in some cases like Beatles, Everly Brothers, old school stuff like that. There aren't really very many bands 
like indie bands that have taken on like the harmonized like two singers approach that I can really think of. Um, so I think that's our unique stamp and, and we kind of got off on the foot of things are always going to be, it was always a little unstable because we started as a two piece and we added bass and drums and then bass player left and then Dave came in and then Mike and Dave were gone and you know, we, we could never really stabilize in one lineup. So our, of course our sound was different. Dear 23 and Failure were made before we'd ever gone on tour and going on tour really changes a lot in terms of what you, you know, you get more instant feedback of how your music might fit to an audience and how, what you want to show that audience and et cetera, et cetera. So we've been building for a long time and experimenting for a long time. And, and I think we just got into that kind of mindset where it's always going to be an experiment. We are, we're never really going to hit on the one thing that makes that works for us. And that's actually a good thing. We're always going to keep trying. Is it, I mean, is there anything that you would credit with, I mean, you and John just interlocking like that and writing together kind of like no one else. I mean, is that just from time to be, you know, being together for so long? Or, I mean, is there anything you credit that to? Well, I, being together for so long and from such a young age, uh, when we first started playing music together, uh, I was 14 and John was 13. So we were still, I mean, our voices were still uh, forming uh, in many ways, uh, physically. Um, we had a great, we were in the choir together in school. We had a really great choir teacher, uh, Mr. Matson, Mr. Dale Matson. Uh, and interestingly enough, um, I think his lessons on technique were really good. Uh, and that stuck with us. So it's the kind of thing that, I mean, it sounds a little goody two shoes that these guys will inquire and that, that's, you know, that's, that's not what you want to read if you're, you know, a Gigi Allen fan or something like <laughs> inquire, you know, Gigi Allen the choir. I like, I like that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you're GG into the choir. You're pre-G and um, but I'll tell you what that 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 vocal technique has served me in the long run because touch wood, but my voice has never been stronger in many ways. Once we get once the tour gets going, one, you know, each time we start playing a bunch of shows in a row, I never have any throat problems or whatever. And I think it's being able to sing so freely is a real asset. I can push it and make it sound, you know, rough and now, you know, uh, and give all the rock edge to it. I want, or I can make it a really pure tone. And I think versatility is a great asset. And I think, you know, as they say, you know, you learn the form and then you break it. Right. Yeah. So I, we had good instruction in learning the, the form and the technique, uh, in high school. And, uh, we've applied that and yeah, maybe it's a little twee at the beginning, but I don't think we are, I think we are very far from twee now. I think we are, I think that what keeps it, what keeps us from being, shall we say twee is I think there's, there's again, the sense of commitment and the emotions that we put on the line. Um, we are not precious by any means. 
I mean, so so yeah, you you kind of credit then then going back there, you 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 basically learned how to use your your voice. It sounds like as an instrument, like not not just you mm-hmm. don't have just this one setting. You have dynamics, just like a guitar. You can go soft, you can go hard, and that that's something that you kind of have to learn. So that's kind of neat being classically trained. I mean, musically too. Do you have a? I mean, are you a theory guy, or did you just kind of learn technique and stuff from playing along to things? Well. In choir, we learned to sight read. Uh, I'm not an amazing sight reader. And I also had piano lessons uh, when I was uh, younger as well. Uh, I wasn't a very diligent student, but I did learn to sight read. So uh, if somebody gives me sheet music, I mean, I've played with uh, some, you know Alex Chilton, for example, on certain occasions gave us some arrangements that he'd done of little Baroque pieces that he'd arranged for two guitars, bass, and drums. There's one of them on the Big Star uh, In Space album. Um, and it, I've worked with Chris Stamey, and sometimes he'll, you know, he throws a score at me, and, and at least I can read it. I'm not super fast, but I can read it. And as far as theory goes, I think that I prefer to not know too much and stay out of the theoretical and stay out of the 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 ordered uh this has been done this hasn't been done if you start to think too much about what's been done you won't even get off the couch so because a lot has been done i mean there's millions and millions of musicians making incredible music and have been doing so for so many years and in uh, over a hundred years of recording them uh so you don't want to get too hung up on that um because in the moment something can work even if it's even a cliche can work in the moment i try and avoid them but it is they do work um but whatever technique you want to apply it's probably not quote unquote original except that each moment and each interaction and each connection between you your you you, know, you and yourself and your own muse and the audience and other musicians and whatever is a unique moment. So it actually doesn't matter what's come before or since. So theory is an interesting way to, it's like you, it's like telling you, you have music is its own map and theory is actually a guide to the symbols. It's uh, on the map really in, in a, in a way, uh, a flat is one, you know, minor is one kind of terrain and major is another kind of terrain and a flat is another kind of terrain, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, I mean, I, I want to go back to something that we were talking about earlier when you were talking about how in the beginning you and John it was just kind of you guys. I was I was wondering because on uh, Dear 23, when you did finally get a full band, I mean, how how was that? Did you like having other creative input or was it hard for you guys? Because I know you did like everything. You guys played everything. You were producing stuff yourselves. Was that weird to give creative control over when you finally had to? Well, I don't think we did give creative control over. I think that was a source of some friction. I think we were quite confident that we that uh, as humble as failure is, it is a very complete vision, and it worked. We got tons and tons of radio airplay on commercial stations, so it kind of was, for us, we didn't really, we weren't like, oh my gosh, we need more input. We just needed some people to play with and if they were okay with that then off we go and that that did lead attention down the road because 
Arthur Roberts, who played bass uh, on Day 23. He he went by Rick back in those days, but he since reverted to his actual given birth name, Arthur. Uh, he wanted to contribute songs and be a songwriter, and and we considered it, and we even tried it. We recorded a few of his tunes, and we just didn't feel it. No. Uh, we didn't feel that the tunes were matching, uh, and and we didn't feel, to be brutally honest, that they were good enough. Um, uh, so we were at an input pass. We weren't going to lower our quality just uh, in, for the for the sake of fairness. That's... And I, I stand by that decision. You know, I think we should always go for the highest quality. Just because somebody wants to do something doesn't mean they're good at it. And that's really a harsh thing to say. Um, and I would say it about myself in, in other areas. I know that there are some things I'm better at than others. Um, so that's just the way life is, unfortunately. No, I'm that, never that... going to be a, a pro tennis player. I love playing <laughs> tennis, but that's just, even if I put the hours in, I don't think I would be a pro tennis player. And it makes sense. Cause like, I mean, don't, don't fix what's not broken. I mean, success was a great album and, I was just kind of wondering with that. So, yeah, so it sounds like you guys didn't have, I should reword it differently, maybe not creative input, but uh, definitely, was it a relief at least to have people play the stuff? I mean, was it was it easier to get, here's my vision, you know, can you do this? Or was it just easier doing it yourself, do you think? I think there's a risk, I suppose. It could go either way. Um, I don't think there's a guaranteed outcome. I think we were very, very lucky to have, Mike, who is an incredibly technically proficient drummer who doesn't always play like a technically proficient drummer. Um, he can put heart and soul into it that makes it more than just complexity. Complexity he's capable of, but but there's a fluidity and a fire to it you know then and now his playing that I, I think makes him very unique I gotta agree um, and Arthur uh, certainly had uh, you know he's, he, Arthur was a guitar player who agreed to play bass because we were really in a bind we'd released failure it was blowing up on the radio we had Arthur uh, we had offers we had Arthur's we had offers <laughs> for shows and uh, Arthur, I had a class with him at the University of Washington, and I, he mentioned already that he lived with a drummer. And I said, "Look, we're, we we need people. Um, really, I know you're a guitar player. Would you be willing to play bass?" And he agreed. And I, I don't think any of us believed that it would be such a phenomenon. I think I I was thinking just whatever would serve us in the short term. And I think Arthur was as well that, oh, yeah, this would be fun to do for a summer, play some gigs with these guys. The whole going into national and international renown and signing to a major label and all of this stuff just didn't seem very likely because it wasn't in 1988. Um, even in Seattle, Seattle hadn't happened yet. Sub Pop didn't exist yet. None of this existed that we know didn't take for granted now about Seattle. Um, so we just didn't realize it would be go, going to that extreme. Did, but yeah. He's a great player, but, but, uh, but he's really a guitar player. And I would say that he was 
trying so hard to put so much musicality into every note. I, I think that he was under pressure um, and really wished that he could invent guitar parts. Uh, and that's some of the bass lines are a bit like that. They're still fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think that that tension existed all through our early days. And so it was a thing and it grew. Okay. So, I mean, let's, let's get into it real quick. Um, cause we're talking about the three albums. I mean, there, we got the deluxe reissues. They're out on pledge music. Um, you just want to talk about that real quick for a second. Like, I mean, where, you know, the stuff you have on pledge music, you guys have some really interesting stuff that uh, fans can grab and just kind of let people know where they can find the music. Yes, so uh, we have a, uh, a Pledge Music campaign up right now, pledgemusic.com forward slash projects forward slash the hyphen posies, or I'm sure if you search for the posies in Pledge Music, you'll find it. And that is where we're pre-ordering Frosting on the Beater as a deluxe remastered double LP, 45 RPM, and... Uh, a deluxe double CD with, I don't know, 30 bonus tracks. And Amazing Disgrace, same treatment. Um, so those, since they're not out yet, they're pre-orderable at Pledge Music. And Dear 23 as a double uh, LP and double CD with 30 bonus tracks or whatever, uh, that's already out. So that one is just out in the world. You can get it everywhere. Um, I know that's a little complicated, but... Uh, that's how it goes. <laughs> it, it actually, you can also buy I, them as a set together, you know. And, and I can I can attest to Dear 23. I've seen that in quite a few record stores, so that one's not too hard uh, if people are looking for that. So they can go there, and uh, you guys are about to hit uh, Europe, right? You guys going to the U.K. next? Well, yeah. Uh, our, we, we've done the North American tour that, that, we, that started in victoria canada in may and wrapped up in seattle in july and it was awesome we did some festival stuff this summer in europe and we have a european club tour that starts uh well i don't know when this is people are gonna hear uh see next, this, but it's a week next week we'll uh be airing this at 28 next week oh well that yeah so it kicks off tonight oh per- <laughs> uh, in in mallorca in uh in the Medi- you know the spanish island and mediterranean so we play Spain, France, uh, Holland, Belgium, Germany, the UK, uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland. Any of those new to you, or have you guys just been touring all those places for years now? We've been touring all of those places for years. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, as, as we wrap things up, I mean, anything else that you're working on? I mean, I know you're always producing bands, always doing solo work. I mean, anything in the works right now? Uh, at the moment, I'm working on an independent film. Uh, we're sh- shooting right now in California, uh, something I've never done before. Um, I'm, I'm the principal actor. Uh, it's a fictional film uh, that tells a story about someone not, not totally unlike me, the real me, but... <laughs> With some major differences, let's say a slightly less lucky, less gifted, less successful, less fulfilled version of me is out there in some world, contemporary world, and 
and the film is a little bit about his path to fulfillment and self-knowledge and just, you know, kind of from, from darkness to light. And this is something you said new to you. I mean, how are you liking it so far? Uh, it, yeah, it's quite challenging. Uh, the, the pace of film is, because there's more variables even than music, uh, the pace of making a film is even slower than the pace of making a record, which is challenging to stay focused and stay in the moment and, and not get frustrated with how slow things have to go for technical reasons. I think that's, uh, you know, they're both about spontaneity in the end, you know, but in music, you, you know, the engineer mics up the drum kit and mics up the bass amp and, gets everything ready, everybody tunes, boom, you gotta, it still takes a few hours, but with film, for every time that you do a new scene, you're basically setting up like as if it's like a studio. I mean, you place the camera and lights and microphones and everything. And so it, it's, I, I think I love it once it gets rolling and just like I love music once it gets rolling. I mean, micing up the drum kit, even for me as an engineer or producer is not my favorite part of the day. My favorite part of the day is when musicians are clicking. And so same here, the, my favorite part of the day is when a performance has this time and space to click and all the technical stuff can be forgotten. Uh, but I think it's really exhilarating and, and, and fascinating to, to, find it's a new way of expressing that I didn't know really existed. I mean, I watched movies before, obviously, but didn't really have a clear idea of what that took to get that performance done. I could imagine, but most of what I imagined was wrong. Um, and so now having been in it and seeing what it takes to get that performance to happen, that's a very interesting and limitless area of expression that is quite addictive really now do we have a release date yet for this or people are just gonna have to wait a while i uh i think that people will have to wait a while we're, we're gonna be shooting for the rest of the month or until i leave to go on the tour and then comes editing which is lengthy process um so sometime next year it would be would be a hope, I guess, uh, that it would start showing up at festivals, etc. Very nice. You'll know. I'll be, I'll be, what? I'll be talking about it far and wide when it's anywhere close to being seen. Uh, people can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Ken Stringfellow, and and all the news about what I'm doing comes up there. All right. Well, perfect. People, uh, go check them out on there as well as the posies are on all social media. Go check out their pledge music for uh, their three major label records. They're up there. Deluxe reissues. I have Deer 23 and it's great whether you're a new fan or an old fan. Lots of great stuff on there. So, uh, Ken, thank you very much for talking to us today. My pleasure. And thanks for having me. I call you Sister Carrie, but I never say
Forever, you gotta get it. 
right here on the Power Court, our podcast, a song so good that Ringo Starr had to cover it. That was the Posies with Golden Blunders, and before that was the Posies with Solar Sister. That probably one of their most well-known Posey songs, my favorite Posey song. It's just, that's, that is four people in a rock band just all connecting at once. That whole song is just, when all four of you are on, it's just like, and the first time I heard that song was when I saw them in San Antonio. I mean, I was very new. I heard Amazing Disgrace, and uh, I heard like one or two of their other albums. But honestly, even at that point, I think I only heard a few songs from Frosting on the Beater and Dear 23, and even like Failure. Like, I mean, really, most of the stuff I knew was on Amazing Disgrace. When they played Solar Sister, even though I didn't even know that song, right away I'm like, oh, okay, this is, like, the second I heard it, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, like, my favorite Posey song. Like, this is, like, their best song. Because they were just, they were on fire doing it live, too. Like, I can't stress that enough. Go check out video. Me and Ken talked about it a little bit in there. But go check out video. I mean, they're always good live, but check them out on that 2018 tour with the Frosting on the Beater lineup. It's insane. Like, I can't tell you how insane it was to see them play. I think that was probably the best show. 2018, the best show I saw was the Posies. 2019, the best show I saw was Ken Stringfellow solo. Like, that should really tell you something. Like, they are just, there's a reason they're in all those bands. There's a reason that Ken, you know, went and joined REM and Big Star and Lagwag and all those. Like, there's a reason people want them in their bands because they're damn good musicians. And uh, I can't say good enough stuff about them. Now I'm on a Posies kick after a. putting this throwback episode out. I just want to go listen to Frosting on the Beater again and again and again. So uh, I think that's what I'm going to go do. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this episode. My apologies, we don't have another new podcast for you this week. But don't worry, next week I'll have a new one for you. And uh, like I said, if you do listen to the radio show, we'll have a new one for you this Friday night. So uh, check that out on 107.9 WRFA in Jamestown, New York. If you do not live there, you can stream the station from anywhere on WRFALP.com and also on the WRFA mobile app for uh, iPhone. You can stream the station there. So you can listen to us that way from anywhere. And uh, stay connected with the show. We're at Power Court Hour on uh, all socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify. I put up a playlist of everything I play on the radio show on Spotify every week, so you can check that out there. Hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. If you uh, got song requests for the radio show, if you want to talk music, I've been loving it. A lot of people have been hitting me up lately. Um, just from different episodes, I, you know, that, that's the cool thing about this is, is that, uh, you know, the episodes are out there for a while. So you'll get people who like randomly listen to like our Blink-182 episode or like last week's uh, episode of Jason Camacho from Audio Karate, like just different, different ones. And I'll get people hit me up and like, you know, give me their lists or give me song recommendations, any of that stuff. I love it. I love talking to music and uh, I love to hear that people are listening to the show and enjoying it. So definitely hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. Um, just bullshit music. I don't care. <laughs> hit, hit me up. And uh, I got some Power Chord Hour pins right now with me. And I also have some guitar picks and stickers being made. Those will be here very soon. But if you hit me with your address at that email, um, as soon as they get here, I'll mail you some out absolutely free. So email me there. I'll send you some free radio swag. And uh, yeah, that is it. So thank you so much for checking out this week's uh, throwback episode. Go follow the Posies. Go follow Ken Stringfellow. Go listen to Big Star. Go listen... I mean, I'm sure everyone has heard R.E.M. before. I mean, I, I still think to this day they're probably one of the biggest uh, bands of all time. It, I'll be honest, I, I still laugh at this from time to time. I was in, I was in a music, I was in a music history class, uh, American music history class in college, 
and uh, we had to do presentations on a, a band, bands of our choosing. And I just remember this one girl doing one on REM. And I mean, don't get me wrong, like REM's a great band. I play them on the radio show and stuff, but it was just funny because she presented it like they were like this unknown like indie rock band. And it's like they've they've sold ungodly amounts of albums and like, you know, I I I think there there does not a day goes by that they're not being played somewhere on the radio. So it's just kind of funny, like the way she presented it, like, yeah, this isn't like a super like you guys ever heard of this obscure unknown band i think they're called rem <laughs> it's like no i i, I think by uh I don't know, it was like 2014 I, I think by 2014 i think everyone knows who rem is but uh if you've never checked out any of uh ken's other stuff you gotta go check them out including big star big star started all that the the reason rem is a band the reason the replacements were a band the reason that um the posies exist basically any of those bands exist are because big star exists so i mean if you never listen to big star go check out number one record you will not regret that one bit so much good music to go check out until next episode so uh, go listen to it all and check back next week for a new one and the radio show on friday and until then for the power court hour podcast i'm anthony merchant thanks for listening